We are New Life Community Church in Rogers Park. A community church in the city of Chicago, all over the city, for the good of the city. Right now, we are in the midst of our series, Arrival, The King is Here. Join us as we look at Advent through the lens of the Incarnation. Wherever you're listening, I hope you are blessed by this message. On November 23rd, 1940, Romania signed a document that would put them on the same team as Germany in World War II. So they felt all kinds of pressure, obviously, to do this. You know, Germany was expanding and dominating all these smaller countries in Europe, and they were making their way across Europe, and Romania was vulnerable. They were vulnerable, there was all this pressure, so it was either sign on and team up or be destroyed. Um, So they signed this alliance, Germany, but unfortunately for them, Romania was betrayed. So as Germany made its way uh, east and they were confronting Russia and planning attacks on Russia and things like that, they plundered Romania, their own alliance. And they stole their oil wells and their food and their crops, and it created a food shortage in Romania. It was a time of chaos, and while Romania took a risk to find peace, it didn't pay off. It backfired on them, and it actually brought more chaos. And chaos is something that we understand. Chaos is all around us. Right, And sometimes, like Romania, even our pursuit of peace can just lead to more chaos. It goes crazy on us. We're fallen people living in a fallen world. Sometimes we sin, it seems like, uncontrollably. We suffer, perhaps sometimes unjustly. Sinners and sufferers in this world. And it's sometimes all that we know is chaos. And in today's passage that we're going to look at in Scripture, in Isaiah, we're going to see a world that was in chaos. It was a world of political chaos, war, violence, threat from national and international enemies. It was a world of anxiety and fear. It was a world of godlessness and rebellion against God. It was a world of utter despair. Does any of that relate to us today? In the 21st century, this Advent, this Christmas season? Maybe not all of it, maybe some of it. Maybe for you it feels like all of it. Chaos is certain in every generation. And what we're going to see in today's text can look eerily similar to our own struggles. And that is one of the reasons that we pause for not just one day, Christmas Eve or two days with Christmas Day, but four weeks every year to pause during this Advent season and reflect for four weeks on the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. And today we're looking at this theme of peace. Last week, Corey preached about hope, how the coming of Christ brings hope into the world. He hit on some of these passages in Isaiah and in the Gospels. And this sermon really flows right out of that one. We're going to look at Isaiah together. Uh, Six chapters, actually, a whole section of Isaiah. Kind of zoom out, get a big picture of the 
chaos that's going on in these chapters to see how God speaks promises of peace into that. Because before we get to peace, we have to wrestle with the chaos that is around us in both our sin and in our suffering. But in the midst of the chaos this year, we can know that the coming of Jesus Christ means the coming of peace. The coming of Jesus Christ means the coming of peace. And also, I mean, we can kind of shrug off statements like that. Like, oh yeah, you know, Jesus brings peace. It's kind of like Jesus is the reason for the season. We've heard it a million times. It doesn't really mean anything anymore. And that's why I want to dive into these chapters in Isaiah. They're kind of complex. A lot of details that we're going to look at. But I want you to see this context of chaos that these promises of peace are spoken into because I think it will help us reflect on the depth of peace that Christ brings. So we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 7 to 12. Um, I don't think I've ever preached a chunk of scripture that long, so we're literally going to look at a lot of passages within those six chapters. Um, so might be here a little while. Six chapters preaching. Um, won't read them all, but we'll have different different highlights from there on the screen to look at how God promises peace in these chapters. And uh, like I mentioned, the first thing we have to wrestle with is chaos. So the first point, chaos is certain in every generation. We're going to see this all throughout these chapters. So look with me at chapter 7, verse 1. If you have a Bible, you can turn there in your Bible. Um, uh, we have it on screen as well. We usually have Bibles to hand out. I think we might be out, or there might be one or two left over there. If you don't have a Bible and you want to raise your hand, we can bring that to you if we have any left. No, no, never mind. We don't have any. We will next week. I have a box full of them in my car. So. Um, but Isaiah chapter 7, you can pull it up or look at it on the screen. Verse 1 says this. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Reason, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it. Now, as we read these texts, we're going to see a lot of names, a lot of places, and I'm just going to read it, and I'll try to re-describe uh, what's going on here. So there's these two countries that are planning this attack on Jerusalem, which is Judah and King Ahaz. And when the house of David, that also refers to Judah, when the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as trees of the forest shake before the wind. So there's Judah and King Ahaz over Judah. And they had this neighbor, Israel. And um, Israel is also the people of God, but there was some division between Judah and Israel. They were both the Jews and God's chosen people, and uh, there was some division between them. So Israel also has a neighbor, which is Syria. And Syria and Israel team up. They become friends, and they plan this attack on Judah. So you can kind of see here Judah down the orange to the south, and then uh, Israel is the blue, and then Syria is that Aram Damascus at the top, that's Syria. So these two countries are getting together, and they're going to come attack Judah. And what does it say? It says, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people 
shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. There's panic, some instability going on here. So let's keep going. Verse 4. God tells Isaiah to send a message to Ahaz. And he says in verse 4, Say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, basically these two nobodies, at the fierce anger of reason in Syria and the son of Remaliah, because Syria and Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tobiel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. <coughs> so here, we see more of the reasons why there's all this panic and this chaos and this fear going on. So these two countries, they're going to team up. They're going to come against Judah. And there's fierce anger, it says, that they have against Judah. It says they've devised evil against Judah. So they say, let us go up and terrify it and conquer it and set up our own king. So they basically want to overthrow the whole kingdom, Judah. I mean, talk about chaos. This is like Canada literally swooping down and just destroying the United States or something like, you know, we can't even imagine it, what it must have felt like, the anxiety and the fear. And what does God do? God speaks and he says, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint. It shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. So there's all this threat, this political threat, this violent nightmare, certainty of death and destruction, and God is giving them his promise, even while they're shaking in their boots. But before we dive more into that promise, there's more chaos to see. So let's skip over to uh, chapter 8, verse 11, and listen to this text. This is God now speaking to Isaiah, the prophet again. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. So not only is there all this chaos, there's this real threat, and this violence coming, but fear is amped up by the media. Conspiracies and rumors are abounding. Now, you really have to use your imagination at this part because we have no idea what this is like. Uh, we don't know at all what it's like for the media to amp up fear, for there to be conspiracies and things like that. <laughs> Just joking. But um, we sort of understand this. Um, even when uh, journalists and news reporters are telling us the truth even, even just the headline by itself, we can just like, oh, just take it in and just feel the weight of the anxiety or the fear. Another day, another problem. So there's all this fear. The country is about to be devastated and there's conspiracies and rumors going around. I have no idea what this chaos must have felt like. But 
before we go on, there's one more detail. One more crucial detail that I've left out. Ahaz, king of Judah, is a wicked man. And like I said, Syria and Israel are teaming up against Judah, against Ahaz. But they aren't the only ones building an alliance. Ahaz rejects God and pursues help from the nations around him instead of God. He calls up another neighboring country, Assyria. So if you were confused, now you're even more confused. It's like Syria, Assyria. It's almost the same name, but add an A on the front. So Judah calls up Assyria to come help him fight his battles against Syria and Israel. So it's literally like a world war starting, it seems like, in this region. And Assyria is a wicked nation, and Ahaz completely gives in to everything that they're doing. So he goes and checks out their temple and their gods, and he comes back to Judah, and he sort of gets rid of the stuff that they had in God's temple, and he builds new altars. He starts sacrificing to false gods, and he sets up idols. He seeks the help of the Assyrian gods. He rejects God and seeks help in the idols of his neighbor. So Assyria helps him. Assyria answers the call and plunders Israel and Syria for Judah. You can read about it in 2 Kings 16 or 2 Chronicles 28. We won't dive into all that, but all the details are there. But just like the story I told about Romania, the risk that Ahaz takes to achieve peace does not pay off. It backfires. God is angry with Ahaz for the way he has led his people in Judah. And God foretells that even though Assyria helped defeat his enemies, Assyria would also turn against Judah as well and conquer their own ally. And much of the rest of chapters 7 and 8 tell the story of Assyria conquering both Israel and Judah, their own ally. Is that chaos? I mean, again, I know a lot of names, a lot of details. But if you're missing some of that, just put that aside and just feel the weight of the chaos that the people are going through. The chaos is multi-layered. I mean, physically, there's political threat, war, violence, death. Emotionally, there's anxiety, dread, anger. At the end of chapter 8, it talks about them having all this anger inside. Spiritually, there's rebellion against God, pursuit of other gods for help. All kinds of chaos. Sin and suffering are all that they can see. And it leads to the final note in chapter 8, which is not the happiest verse in the Bible. It's a note of utter despair. Listen to 8.21. It says, They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And catch this. And they will look to the earth, but behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. 
You know, I think one of the reasons that it can be so challenging and so difficult to read and, and understand books like Isaiah, these prophets, is because there's two things going on. There's all these historical details that sometimes seem very foreign to us, but then we'll just break out in poetry to interpret the history that's going on. Does that make sense? So this, really this poetic image, all this imagery to show that things are not good. Distress, darkness, anguish, and thick darkness. Chaos. Just let those words and images sink in. Because that brings us to point two. Peace is promised in the middle of the chaos. Really, all of that was just set up. Because there's, there's these famous verses that go around at Christmas time. You've probably heard them. We're going to read them together. Um, but just, you know, Isaiah 7, that prophesies that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son whose name will be Emmanuel. You've probably heard that verse, even if you're not a Christian or haven't been for a long time. Um, you've probably seen that on a billboard or at a nativity. Isaiah 9 as well. For unto us a son is born, unto us a child is given. It's kind of a famous Christmas verse. And we never really understand the context, but actually Isaiah 7 to 12 is full of three or four prophecies about this son that is to come, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who's to come. But the, all those chapters, those six chapters, the context is the same story of chaos. These promises of peace and hope come in a darkness that we can't even hardly fathom. So that's one thing I really want you to see today. These prophecies that maybe we've heard before in Isaiah 7 and 9 and 11, they're given to people that are struggling deeply. People perhaps like us. And into this chaos, God speaks. So let's look at these three prophecies in 7, 9, and 11. The first one is about God's presence. So peace is promised in the middle of the chaos, and it's the peace of God's presence. This is Isaiah 7, 14. It says, uh, God, speaking to Ahaz about his anxiety and his fear, and he says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So this sign, as it's called, was given to address the immediate anxiety of the day. I mean, Israel and Syria were coming on against Judah and there was panic. And the promise and the hope for the house of Judah was in trouble. See, God had promised, never will the house of David lack my king to sit on its throne. But now Syria and Israel, they're like, ah, we're going to devastate that place, destroy it. We're going to set up our own king. So the hope and the promise that God previously gave is in jeopardy. That's why God gives this sign to the house of David, it says, or a few verses earlier, that there will be a son who will be God with us. God gives this sign to say that his presence will triumph in the future. 
even over present threat. And one thing that's interesting to me is that it's a sign that you can only hold on to by faith. You see, Ahaz had a choice. He's looked at Assyria and he saw with his eyes their strength. But this promise from God, he can't see it. It's invisible. He can only hold it by faith. I mean, a virgin shall bear a son? Really? That's not something that you can very easily believe. We kind of brush over that because we hear it every year. Again, even if you haven't been a Christian very long, maybe you, if you grew up around here, maybe you've seen nativities or billboards that talk about the virgin birth of Christ. And we kind of just water it down and forget about it. Like Corey mentioned last week, this is crazy. This could have cost Joseph his whole livelihood, his status in the village. I mean, no one would have believed this. And this prophecy was foretold 700 years earlier before Christ was even born. And it was a sign and a promise that Judah would make it. That God would not let them be destroyed. But it was a sign and a promise that you could only hold on to by faith. This did not make sense. But though trouble was all around, and though trouble was coming, God would be victorious. He would preserve the line of David forever. His king would reign over the world. So though chaos surrounds, God's presence will triumph. And God would be with us. And this takes us to the heart of Christmas. Because in Matthew chapter 1, like we hit on last week, in the Hope Sermon, this is what it says. It says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The birth of Jesus is the fulfillment of that sign that God would not abandon his people and that his king would triumph and reign and be victorious over the world. His presence would be with us in Jesus. The second, you know, peace is promised in the middle of the chaos. First, through God's presence. Second, it's through God's person, which follows this. I mean, that first one was about God's person. But in chapter 9, we read more about this son, this person who's to come. So chapter 8, if you remember, it ended on a dark note. They will look to the earth, distress, darkness, anguish, thick darkness. But in chapter 9, there's a direct contrast. It says this, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. For in the former time he made the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali feel worthless. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond Jordan. Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness. And then, right here in verse 6, a few verses down, it's that Christmas verse that maybe you've heard before. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The Lord himself will do this. 
So more about this person that is going to come. And even though there's all this threat and chaos and violence going on around them, there was a person who would come, a son that would be born, who would reign with righteousness and justice and be king for God over his people. So God promises to act through this future king, and he would be the prince of peace. In these chapters, there's pact, you know, they're packed with plundering and war. It's like exhausting even just to think about it or imagine it. And there's nothing, there's no better news that could have been told than to hear that God would send a prince of peace. And this also takes us to the heart of Christmas, to the birth of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 4 quotes this passage directly when Jesus begins his public ministry. It says in verse 12, Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, which we saw in Isaiah 9, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, which we saw in Isaiah 9. And then, he says explicitly, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. In Isaiah 9, the promise is for the light to come in the middle of all this chaos. And by Matthew 4, the fulfillment of that promise, Jesus Christ, Son of God, has come to bring light and peace to the chaos. The light of Jesus steps into this darkness, his peace into the chaos. And though darkness surrounds them and us, we can put ourselves there child would be born to bring hope and peace beyond their wildest dreams. God's enemies would not triumph forever. God's kingdom and the throne of David his king would stand forever. And God's own son would rule with justice, goodness, and righteousness. And one thing that's interesting is that they probably would have would have caught this a little bit, maybe not fully understood it, but this son is no ordinary human being. He is God himself. A son to be born that we would call mighty God. I mean, that's explicit and obvious. This is going to be God born in the flesh. But then even these other titles, Wonderful Counselor, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, they're all titles that are used for God in Isaiah. God is saying there's going to be a son born who will be God and man united in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a third uh, part of this point is God's place. So we see God's presence, God's person more fully explained. And through this person, God's place becomes a place of peace. Peace is coming in the midst of chaos through this person. So chapter 11 now. Chapter 11, it starts with explaining this person more. The spirit of the Lord will be on him. He would rule in this way and do these things. 
But then I especially want to read verse 6 and following. This is the place that this person creates in the future. So imagine this with me as I read it to you. It says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the serpent's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's unimaginable. I was thinking about this last night when I was writing it, and this memory came to mind where I was, I don't even know, probably like, uh, you know, six or seven years old, and it was something where my mom had taken me and my sister over to some friend's house. And uh, we were family friends with this family, and they had four sons. And one was my age, he was the youngest, and the other three, it was like, you know, every two years or something. So these guys, they were probably, you know, 9, 10, 12, 13 years old, these brothers. And all I remember in this memory is standing inside, looking out the window, watching these older couple brothers chase a snake. And they chased it into this tree. It was like a dead tree that had been half chopped in half, and it went down this tree trunk. And they spent the next 45 minutes just like looking down this tree, trying to get this snake, poking it with sticks and stuff. I mean, they were crazy, you know, and I don't know what the parental guidance was thinking on this one, but uh, I was inside. I was probably not allowed to join. So thanks, Mom, for saving me from the snake. Um, but I thought about that, and I was like, that's... You know, that's, that's what we think about when we think of snakes as crazy boys trying to get them and then everybody else trying to say, don't because you'll die. You know, we don't think about this. But this is an image of the day that is coming that this sun brings where no chaos exists. That's the point of this image. No chaos exists. Um, there's another story. Several years ago, uh, there was this Russian zoo. Now, a couple years that have been, I actually told this story as well because we were in Isaiah talking about the coming of Christ in a different chapter that had similar imagery. So maybe you remember this, but there was this Russian zoo and zookeepers were feeding a tiger, a live ram, and they would feed a live ram to this tiger every week. So I don't know if this was like an exhibit where people could watch or if it was whatever, but rams were part of the diet of this tiger at the zoo. And one day, one of these rams walked up to the tiger with some confidence and stared it straight in the eye and the tiger just walked away and the people were a little shocked and stunned like wow what's going on you know so they left the ram in there because it was going to be food anyway i guess and what happened was this tiger and this ram started to bond and create this animal friendship and the tiger didn't eat the ram and they kept the ram in there for a few days Maybe longer, maybe weeks. You can Google this. It was crazy. And this ram and tiger friendship just went viral and blew up the internet because everyone was so surprised. This is not common, and it doesn't make sense for us. But that's exactly what happens in the world to come. The lion and the lamb 
laying down together. The children and even the most dangerous, sneaky animals like snakes. No pain, no death, no chaos in the world to come. And it comes through Jesus Christ. The person who would bring peace would be a world of peace. You know, the generation that heard these prophecies and all this chaos is in some ways like our own generation. Now, of course, a lot of us can't fathom the chaos that they must have been experiencing, literally thinking they were going to die within days. Um, but there are plenty of places in the world that do experience this. And maybe even in your own life, for where you've come from, where you've been, or even in your own family life, maybe you feel the weight of some of these emotions, fears, anxieties, or even just spiritual battles and struggles. And in some ways, we're like this generation because these promises and these prophecies come and we, we hear about the coming of Jesus, the peace, the Prince of Peace, you know? But the chaos does not immediately go away. We're left this week, even after hearing this message, even after seeing and celebrating together, we're left this week, right before Christmas, with memories of lost loved ones, with sickness and death with anxiety and despair, with suffering and with personal sin that enslaves us. Our time is in some ways much different because we've seen the first coming of Christ. He's come and we can put a face to the name as we read the Gospels and learn more about Jesus, what it means to follow Him. But then in some ways, we're still waiting for this final day of peace to come where Jesus comes the second time and makes all things new and creates a new world that will be like the Garden of Eden, where there will be no chaos, no pain, no death, no fear. So it's this tension. On the one hand, Christ has come and our sins have been washed away. But on the other hand, we're still waiting in hope, like we talked about last week, for the day of peace. <coughs> and that's one of the awesome things about Advent that in Advent, we have so much time. We have four weeks instead of just two days. You know, typically Christmas comes and goes and you're like, where to go? But we actually have four weeks to meditate on the coming of Jesus Christ. So we don't only think about his first coming, but his second coming. Actually, traditionally, Advent begins with reflection on the second coming of Jesus Christ into the world to make all things new. So Isaiah 7, 14, 9, 6, in this passage in 11, traditional Christmas verses. Maybe you've heard them. Maybe you've heard one or two of them. But what I want you to get today is that these promises come in the middle of chaos. They come in the middle of the chaos to bring hope of a day of peace, a son of peace who would be born. They were four the Israelites in that day, and they're for us today to get a deeper glimpse of what God is doing in Jesus Christ to save us, to remake the world. The peace would be a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. So find yourself in the chaos. You know, think about what troubles you. What troubles you today? What troubles you this week? 
Um, it might be a personal sickness. It could be anxiety over relationships that you're going to have to face at Christmas dinner or the sadness of being away from them. Could be a sin or a struggle that continues to enslave you. It could be a child you feel like you can't manage. Maybe a parent you feel like you can't trust. A spouse's decision that you don't support. Broken dreams, disappointments in this life. All kinds of things that can wear us out, beat us down, either suffering or sin. Most of the time, both for all of us. Like a spiral. But whatever the darkness that you're going through, whatever the chaos, whatever the fear, you are in a similar position to Ahaz. And so am I. We can look to God for help in our chaos. Or we can look to Assyria to help with our chaos. Assyria made promises and God made promises. Ahaz could see the strength of Assyria with his eyes, but God's promise he could only hear about and trust by faith. So fill in the blank. Replace Assyria with whatever you're trusting in. Whatever you're finding refuge in, whether it's chaos, you want to find refuge. Where are you finding refuge? Is it in more money? More time off from work? More drinks? More TV? More secret habits? When there's chaos, you're going to seek refuge. Find it in Assyria and its idols. Or find it in God and His Son, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, to die for your sins, to rise from the dead, to make all things new. We have peace through Jesus Christ alone. When we seek it in those other places, we're just left in the dark. We're left hopeless, like Ahaz and Judah, like Romania and World War II. You understand this. You know when you turn to things that only God was created to fill and to address, that you're left empty. But listen to Romans 5.1. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, since we've been saved by grace through faith in the blood of Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we walk through this life and we go through struggles and troubles and even death itself, the final enemy. But we can know that even when we're walking through those hard places, we have peace with God if we're trusting in Jesus Christ as our Savior and our refuge. So that's what I want to leave you with today is just thinking about how these promises and prophecies of the peace that comes in Jesus came in so much chaos and how it comes to you through God's word today in the midst of your chaos. So why don't we just uh, finish by spending a few minutes reflecting. If you just want to bow your heads and close your eyes and think on the person of peace, Jesus Christ, right where you're sitting. Think about what troubles you and the chaos you're going through. And we'll just play a little music and give you a couple minutes to process and to reflect on the person of peace, Jesus Christ, our Lord.
And I want you to know today that if you've never trusted in Jesus or if you've never taken the step to follow him in baptism or in confessing him in faith, that this is for you today. If you are justified by faith, you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we'll just have a few minutes to reflect on the person of Jesus. And if you want prayer, if you want to trust him, learn more about what it means to follow Jesus, or just have someone pray with you over some specific chaos or struggle you're going through, we have people in the back that would love to pray with you. So I'm just going to sit right here. We'll just have a few minutes to reflect together on Jesus, the one who brings peace in our chaos. And then we'll finish. We'll sing together. We'll have communion together. But just spend some time reflecting on how to respond to Jesus in trust, in gratitude, and in worship. So just a couple minutes and then we'll press on. amazing that the deeper we go in God's word, the deeper we go into Christ himself. So I hope that as you're reflecting, you're just asking God, God, show me the beauty, the glory of Jesus Christ. Show me the peace that is coming again with Jesus Christ. Ask God to reveal his son, Jesus Christ, to your heart through these words of scripture through his spirit. Um, my original plan was just to preach Isaiah 11, but I was, I was, I was studying this context behind that chapter. I was like, man, we got to hit all of this. And this whole section 7 to 12 all goes together. It's all the same story. And I just want to read to you Isaiah 12. It's very short. And it's sort of like a psalm, like a song of celebration for those who trust in Jesus in this son who is to come. Here's what Isaiah 12 says. I just want to read this over you. It says, you will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. 
Make this your prayer this morning. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. We praise and worship the Son Jesus who has saved us. So we're going to take communion together. Uh, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then I would invite you to take this with us. This bread and this juice is a promise from God that His presence is with us because of the broken body and poured out blood of Jesus Christ. So if you are a follower of Christ and you'd like to take this with us as the church, then I would invite you just to raise your hand. If you don't have one, uh, we can pass some around here. Just give a few seconds to make that get around. As we take this, just think about that verse in Romans. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a tangible, edible promise that we have peace with God through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. I think everybody got one, so uh, let's just take this bread together, remembering the peace that comes through the new covenant, the body of Jesus that was broken for us. And on the night before he went to the cross, he took the cup as well to say, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Well, let's just finish with singing together. Heart the Herald, angel sing. Let's finish with this celebration song about Jesus' is coming. You have been listening to New Life Community Church in Rogers Park. If you have been blessed by this message, please let us know. Now go and live a new life.